Let's go ahead and open our Bibles up now to the book of John, chapter 1. We're going to be in John chapter 1 today, verses 6 through 8. John 1, verses 6 through 8. Jesus is worthy of all our praise. What a, what a sweet time of praise and worship. And thank you so much for participating. And we celebrate also a really great week of Vacation Bible School. And I want to say um, thank you so much to everybody who prayed and who participated and helped to make VBS such an awesome, awesome week. So I want to I want to preach on the subject today, the man of God, the man of God. I want to begin um, by showing you a picture. This this will be uh, familiar to you from about 2009 or so. Um, but uh, the Hudson River runs through New York City, and, and at one point, at one point, it separates uh, Manhattan from the New Jersey border. And, and so the Houston, the Hudson swells with, with both his, history. And heritage. It is one of the most scenic rivers in the United States, and it's been called America's Rhine. Uh, two separate, separate occurrences um, I want to share with you today. They've grabbed my attention uh, because in these two stories that I'm going to share with you, uh, this is what happens when a man steps up to the calling that he has within to rule the realm that God has given him well or when he chooses not to. Okay, the first is this. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that you know about, about this story. It happened in 2009 uh, during, the, during the month of January. And, and there were some birds that flew into uh, the engines of U.S. Airlines uh, or Airways Flight 1549 immediately after takeoff. This was, this was uh, very, very tragic because what happens when these birds flew into both engines, uh, it, they, both, they both decimated the engines, completely blew them. Pilot solely had only uh, had only minutes to get this plane down for an emergency landing before the inevitable happened okay the, the pilot was told to return to LaGuardia airport all right everybody's telling him to get back there and at one point captain Soley ha- had to make a decision the airport was not close enough for a landing and so his only option was to land the plane in the middle of the Hudson now, he understood that, that such a move would result in lives being lost. He knew that. He also knew that if he landed this plane into the Hudson, that his life would also be lost. Well, he, he takes the plane and, and, and has just 90 seconds, 90 seconds to tell everybody, brace yourself for impact. Well, well what happened next was nothing short of the Lord's hand and a miracle. Okay, uh, as, as you know, the plane, uh, the plane hit the water perfectly, all right, perfectly, and no lives were lost, not even the pilots, okay? Everybody survived, not a soul lost. Captain Soley, he had prepared for this moment. Um, uh, he had spent some 19,000 hours logged uh, uh, of uneventful flight time. He had experience as an Air Force pilot. He was an accident, uh, an accident uh, uh, manager. He was an airline safety consultant. He was, a, he was a safety manager. All of this time, all of these hours prepared him for this moment. And, and as a result, 
Captain Soli not only prevented his own teen daughters uh, from becoming orphans, not only did he prevent his own wife from becoming a widow, but he saved the lives and the legacies of 155 people, the youngest being a uh, nine-month-old boy on the plane. New York Governor David Patterson called the incident the miracle on the Hudson. Now, I want to fast forward you two years later. There's another picture that's going to come up. Two years later, something else happened on the Hudson, except this cannot be called a miracle, anything but a miracle. This, this was a disaster. This was a tragic story uh, about a 25-year-old woman who has a story of abandonment and abuse and neglect due to the lack of a presence uh, of a man or mistreatment of many men in her life. At the age of 15, this young lady had her first child. And within a few years, she had three more children by a different man, giving each of those children uh, the name of the, or, or the middle name of their last name of their father, Pierre. And, and so it was, it was a heritage and a legacy um, that, that would, should have not ever have been passed down. Well, the children's father never married their mother. He, he was arrested for not paying child support month after month after month. Uh, another time he was, he was arrested when, when, when their two-year-old son w- was left in his custody. He actually left the child in the house for, for an undesignated amount of time, completely alone. And the child actually got out of the house and wandered uh, the streets of New York on a February night, frigid temperatures. The police found the toddler at 1.15 in the morning crying out uh, near a busy street, partially dressed in wet clothing. Okay, uh, uh, neighbors and family say that the mother loved their children, loved her children, took care of her children, clothed the children, fed the children. Uh, uh, they, they were well looked after and groomed. They, they appeared to be behaved. Mom was actually enrolled in, in classes in a community college and was actually working a full-time job. She, she looked to be getting her life together. But in April of 2011, she posts an apology on Facebook. She calls her mother, her grandmother, and her father to say goodbye. She loads up her four children uh, in her minivan and drives straight into the Hudson River with her children, into the freezing waters of the Hudson River. Now, as the van begins to sink, her 10-year-old struggles to get loose. he's, He's able to get out of a door, and he manages to escape. He later tells police that his mother had gathered all the kids around her, held them tightly, and said, if I'm going to die, you're going to die with me. Neighbors say that the father of the younger of the younger children had shown up just an hour before she drove her children and herself to their deaths. He pounded on her door with with anger, screaming threats for over 30 minutes. This was one of many uh, altercations that they have. And and nobody knows ultimately what led this woman to her decision. But less than an hour later after he had left, the young mother and three of her four children die in the Hudson River. Her children's final final tears undoubtedly cried out in hopes of someone to stop the chaos that was in her world. And no one did. 
Now, when you hear a story like that, a lot of people will, will, will likely blame the young mother because she needs to be responsible for her actions. And her actions were horrific, and they are certainly tragic. But a shared blame for this woman uh, also, uh, also should go to the man in her life that was so traumatizing that he would not father his children or look after his own wife. Her last words, if I'm going to die, you're going to die with me, is a revealing statement because it reflects the power of a man's impact for good or for bad. Innocent children may suffer a death of their destiny, of their hopes, of their dreams, of their esteem, of their futures, and possibly their lives when a man fails to rule his home. We're talking about not just spiritual life. We're not talking about just emotional life, but we're talking about physical lives as well. I put these two stories together for this reason. 155 people survived a plane crash landing on the Hudson because one man operated with responsibility to rule to rule his realm well with devotion. And four people died in the icy grip of that same river because one man or perhaps several did not do that. Now, one interesting fact about the Hudson River that I have not mentioned is that it is one of the few rivers in the world that flows two different directions. Tides from the Atlantic help to move the river north. But the origin of the river, which is, which is, uh, which is the, lake, uh, the lake tear of the clouds, moves the river southward. Before being named the Hudson River, it was called by Indian tribes the river that flows two ways. Just as the Hudson flows two waves, life also has a way of flowing two waves. Men, I'm I'm speaking to you today, much of that depends on us. A lot of that depends on whether or not we're going to live and serve and exist for the glory of God and the purposes of God. A lot of that depends on whether or not we will love the Lord our God with all our hearts and soul and mind and strength. Whether or not we will serve our families, where we will love our spouses and will allow God to lead our hearts and our lives. A lot of that has to do with which way you flow has to do with whether or not you surrender your whole life to the Lord of Jesus Christ. Which way will we flow? Because there is one way that is righteous and is good and God glorifying, but there is another way. There's a way that many follow where many men, many husbands, many fathers, many boys have went that leads to destruction and death. Men of God are desperately needed. Men of God are desperately wanted for today. All of us today, regardless of our age, guys, all of us are called. But very few take the charge to be a man of God. All are desired by the Lord. But very few will accept the challenge. And what I challenge you to do today and what God's word calls us to do today, this Father's Day 2019, is to be a man of God. There is such a need in our culture today in which we live 
for real men of God to rise up, to hear, and to allow the Lord to engage and speak to their hearts with conviction and for men to heed that call with obedience in their lives. Now, I have searched the scriptures and I have prayed about whom I could, uh, whom I could share with you today in God's word that portrays a man of God. And, and many men came to mind in the scriptures. I, I, I've thought about Noah. I've thought about Abraham. I've thought about Joseph and Moses and David and Elijah and Ezekiel and, the, and, and Daniel and the prophets and Peter and John, the, the apostles. I've thought about Timothy and Barnabas and Silas and Paul. But the one name that really stuck out to me was John the Baptist. John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 7, verse 28, Jesus called John the Baptist the greatest prophet in the history of Israel because he served as a forerunner to the Messiah. What an awesome man he was. What a noble man he was. What wonderful things can be said of his life. We see an example for us to look to and follow. And what I want to do today is I want to share with you at least five qualities in John the Baptist's ministry and life that will challenge all of our men today. No matter your age, no matter how young or old you are, we can gain a lot from John chapter 1 verses 6 through eight. Now, ladies, you hear a title like this and you're like, okay, he's only going to talk to the men today. Okay. You're like, I get off the hook this morning. I want you to know that, 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 that could be furthest from the truth because you may feel that this message is not intended for you, but I want for you to know today that this message is for you as well, because these are qualities that you want to pray for in your husband (laughs) and you want to encourage in your husband. And these are qualities that you want to pray for and encourage in your sons. And these are qualities that you're going to want to encourage in the men of of this church. Okay, these are qualities that make up a man of God. So, So there may be times in the message where you nudge your husband real hard and say, you better listen to this. There may be times where you may feel convicted. Where you say, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not owning up to this call in my life. I just, I just ask one thing. Whatever you hear today from the Lord, be obedient. Do what he says do. Now let's read together. John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Title of the message is, The Man of God. It says here in verse 6, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light. We're talking about the light of salvation, the light of the world, Jesus Christ. He was not Jesus. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Five, Five qualities of the man of God. Here they are. Number one is this. The man of God will find his value in God's plan for his life. The man of God will find his value in God's plan for his life. Now, 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 this plan overrides anybody else's plan. Your plan, my plan, okay, your, your family's plan, this overrides that plan. God's plan overrides ours. John's days 
were purposed by the Lord. John's days were destined by the Lord before he even was here, before he was even in the womb. John was foretold to be a prophet, a forerunner of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the Messiah. Verse 6 tells us there was a man sent from God. There was a man sent from God. And his days were destined by the Lord. The story of John the Baptist's birth is so unique, but 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 so but but is so of God's plan, okay? This is the divine plan of the Lord for his life. John the Baptist was spoken of hundreds of years before he was ever born. He he was the voice of the calling in the desert to prepare the way of the Lord. Malachi compared John the Baptist to a modern-day Elijah, or he would have the spirit of Elijah, saying that hope would come through John's ministry. He would be born to Elizabeth and to Zechariah, two people who were way too old to have children anymore. Okay, and, and so the Lord reveals himself uh, to them through an angel, and God, God tells Zechariah, I've got a plan. John has a specific purpose for his life, and your wife is going to bear this child, and, and, and he's going to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, and he would be a man who would preach for the increase of God's kingdom and not his own. John the Baptist would be a forerunner for Jesus. That was his place. That was God's purpose for his life. That was his role. And at that specific moment in time in history... God used him. God blessed him. God anointed him. God had numbered John's days. God had planned John's days. Before he was ever in the womb, God had prepared in advance for the days of his life. And and, and men, God has a purpose. God has a plan for your life too. But my question this morning is this. Are you seeking the plan of God? Are you doing the plan of God for your life? In our plans and our dreams and our desires, we often forego the plan of God for something that we can do ourselves. Or even worse, we never even give a single thought to what the Lord wants for our life. And we just live haphazardly through this one. We flounder around. When God's word expresses to us that our days are destined for him, we need to be sure that it's him that we follow, that it's his desires that we pursue. It was the apostle Paul who wrote in in Philippians chapter 1. He said, we could know more of the plan of God by growing in knowledge and understanding of who he is and what his word says james says that we lack wisdom because we don't ask god we don't pursue god so i encourage you today value the plan of god over your plans a man of god will value god's plan for his life is d.l moody who wrote these words next to isaiah 6 verse 8 in his bible and these words says he said I'm only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. When I can, I ought to. And what I ought to do by God's grace, I will do. The man of God will find his value in God's plan for his life. Here's the second thing I want to share for you. The man of God will need God's power. 
The man of God will need, will rely on God's power, God's strength for his life. I want you to take a look at, uh, take a look at verse 7. Verse 7 here in chapter 1. It says, this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. It is a shame, it is a shame that so many of us live weak lives, unfruitful lives, dull lives, predictable lives, mundane lives, when we could be operating in the power of Almighty God. It was A.W. Tozer who said, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. Think about that. John the Baptist lived and operated in the power of the Holy Spirit, going and doing what God called him to do. We see in verse 6, he was a man sent by God. Amen. Sent from God. From his birth, John's parents knew that he would be set apart for the Lord's purposes. They, they embrace that calling for him. They encourage that calling for his life. And, and can I encourage our parents today, embrace and engage the call of God for your children's lives and settle for nothing less. Doesn't matter what your dreams are. Doesn't matter what you want for them. You should want what God wants for them. John had that on his life and his parents realized that. They knew that he would be a prophet, not a priest. His daddy would be a priest. But John was not a priest, far from it. John was a prophet. What if we did the same thing, you know, for for our families? Instead of of asking a person, what do you want to do with your life? Or what are your plans for your life? what, What if we asked, what is God leading you to do with your life? How are, you, how are you trusting in God's power uh, for your life? What are his plans for your life? What's next, Lord? John had uh, an anointing. John had a, a commissioning. God, God, John had a purpose from God to live out. He was named for it. He was prepared for it, and he lived because of it. Normally, folks, in Jewish culture, it, it was custom for the firstborn to be named after their father. Right, And even if he didn't have that same name as his father, he was to receive a family name. But, but Zechariah gave him the name John, for that is what the Lord told him to name his son. You're going to name him John. You know what the name John means? John means graced by Yahweh. Or Yahweh is gracious. Which means God favored John. God's love and mercy were graciously given to John. Not because John was better than any of you or me. Not because John deserved it more than you or I. But God desired for John to have the grace and the favor and the love in his life. John was not entitled to have God's grace upon him. He was graced with the opportunity. He was given the opportunity. Therefore, he was given divine appointment and opportunity to live out what the Lord wanted for his life. And the Lord was good to John. When the angel of the Lord spoke to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, Scripture says that you will have joy and gladness and many are going to rejoice in the fact that John the Baptist is born. Why would so many people be filled with gladness? Why would so many people be filled with joy? Because of what John would represent. 
John would represent the coming of the Lord. John was a forerunner of Christ. What this meant for Israel, but what this meant for the world. John's ministry would break 400 years of prophetic silence. Okay, For 400 years, since the days of Malachi, no one had brought new revelation from the Lord to the people of God. No one sought after the Lord in those 400 years. No one prepared for Christ's coming in those 400 years. Those years, the Jews were blind. They were, they were deaf to the purposes of God. Many are still that way today. John the Baptist, though, would break the silence. And and Luke's gospel tells us that he would be great in the sight of the Lord. John would be set apart from the rest of the world. John would not be filled with strong drink or or, uh, wine. Instead, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, he was to be fully focused on the purposes of God for his life. We, we can't be filled with the Holy Ghost if we are filling ourselves up with other things. Okay, that's what that means. God, God would only use John to point people to God in a life of righteousness and repentance. And, and, and as I read this about John, you know, John being a Nazarite, other than having the long hair, I desire that for my life. <laughs> I desire that same calling for my life. <laughs> I want for people to look at my life and turn to the Lord because of my life. I want to help people see God. I want to help people know God. I want to help people follow God. And in John chapter 1 verse 7, we read that John came to witness. John came to testify about Jesus. And John would do that. John would preach powerful messages about the Messiah. The Lord Jesus, Mark chapter 1, verses 7 and 8 says that he was preaching and saying that after me there is one coming who is mightier than I. People would hear his messages and they would see God and they would turn from their sins and they would repent of their sins and they would turn to God. And then John would baptize people as a, as a symbol, as a sign, as a vow of commitment and repentance to, to the Lord. Everything John did in his life, everything John did, did in his ministry was spirit-led, God-empowered. He had God's hand on his life. And I think about the men that are in this room today, young and old alike. I think about you all. We need powerful, mighty men of God, don't we? We need those men. God is on pursuit of men who will yield to the power of the Lord's work in your life. Men with humble hearts. Men who will sacrifice everything for God's name to be known. We need men who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Who need the Lord. Who rely on the Lord for everything. From their next breath to their next step. Men who will operate in the power of God. Men who will live a life that is evident of the Spirit of God working in and through them. I heard the true story about a man named Ken. He was 80 years old, and, and, and he occupied room 3330 at a hospital. And uh, his, his attitude was always known as being a cheerful man. He, he was positive. He was upbeat. His attitude and, and, and his encouragement was infectious among hospital staff. And one day, one day a doctor, not his doctor, comes into Ken's room, and he says, he says Ken, I've heard about you all around this hospital. And I'd like to know, 
How is it that a man at your age with, with your disabilities, how can you be so upbeat? How can you be so positive? How can you be so cheerful? And Ken said, I'd be happy to tell you, but first you need to tell me this. Where do you find your enjoyment in life? The doctor thought about it for a moment and he said, well, to tell you the truth, I really don't have much enjoyment at all in my life. I, ha- I had a plane and I thought that that would bring me a lot of thrills. That didn't do much for me. Now I have a big boat. That doesn't seem to work very well either. I've got a great income, but no lasting satisfaction. As a matter of fact, Ken, there, there, there's nothing that I've ever done that I think has brought me the, the satisfaction and the joy that you seem to have in your life. And Ken said, I know exactly what you're going through. In my lifetime, the only thing that I've ever found that has provided me any lasting peace and satisfaction is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And about that time, a lady named Maria, she was a housekeeper of about 50 years old, enters the room. She's the lowest paid staff person in the hospital. She would have to work 20 more years to earn what this doctor made in one year. And Maria's face, her countenance, her joy was the same as Ken's. And, and, so, and so Ken looks at her and he says, do you see Maria's face? Do you see what I'm talking about? Do you, do, you, do you see the difference in her? And Ken looked at Maria and he said, Maria, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And Maria just beamed with more joy and she said, oh yes, I love my Lord Jesus. <laughs> and over the next 15 minutes, Ken took the opportunity to tell this doctor about how he had given his heart to, to Christ and he had asked God to show him how to live. He had asked God to give him peace and joy and love and a life of purpose and empowerment. And, and he said to the doctor, he said, he said, doctor, in five minutes, you're going to be gone. And tomorrow, more than likely, I'm going to go home. And we're probably never going to see each other ever again. But before you go, let me tell you one thing that I urge you to do that can help you for eternity. If you want what I have, if you want what Maria has, then sometime today, I encourage you to go and find a place, a quiet place, and cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell him what's in your heart. Ask him to forgive you. Surrender your life to him. Settle it today. Ken was not a big man in the way the world describes big men. He was an ordinary guy. He was a paint salesman whose greatest joy was giving his life to God and allowing God to work through his life. And Ken's secret was not about who he was or who he had or what he had on his own. His his life was about the fact that he had Jesus Christ and what he had in Jesus Christ. He was a disciple of Jesus who happened to be a paint salesman. And as a result... This man passionately lived his life for God's glory until he drew his last breath. And that was what John the Baptist's testimony was about as well. God had all of his life. Every ounce of it, every facet, every detail, every part of his life belonged to the Lord. And God powerfully used him because of it. A third thing. The man of God will be faithful to keep his promises to the Lord. Now, John the Baptist was a Nazarite. 
He was an Israelite uh, consecrated to the service of God. According to number six, he lived a Nazarite life. As a matter of fact, he had vowed to abstain from alcohol completely all throughout. Uh, He was to let the hair that he had grow without cutting. He was to avoid defilement by by not touching anything that was dead. It's a a person separated from others, uh, consecrated to the service of God. That is what a Nazarite is. And, and, And it's believed that that there have been lots of Nazarites, but there's only been about three in Scripture that could be called lifelong Nazarites. You have have Samson, you have Samuel, and you have John the Baptist. Those are the three lifetime Nazarites. John the Baptist lived his days on purpose. He was a simple man. In Mark chapter 1, you read about him being clothed with camel's hair, and he ate locusts and wild honey. What a diet. (laughs) He, 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 he was a simple man. He, he, he was not loaded down with, with any distractions from the rest of the world. And, and people look at that and they're like, why live that way? Why did he live in the desert? You know, why did he dress that way? Why all that time in the desert? Why was he so different? Because the heart of his devotion was different. When someone gives their whole life to Christ, you are radically different. Okay? And, and in his obedience, in his obedience, his life was about saying yes to God. Yes to God. That's often not our favorite word for the Lord, is it? Yes. The Lord calls, do we say yes? Oftentimes, when the Lord calls, we say, let me think about it. Oftentimes, when the Lord calls, we say, maybe. Oftentimes, we say, if the Lord calls, well, if my life will allow for it, if my schedule will allow for it. Oftentimes, when God calls, we'll say, not this time. Oftentimes when God, say, when God calls, we'll say, I'm not ready. Or we'll say, I've got a st- stuttering problem like Moses. Or we'll say, choose somebody else. Or we'll say, I'm terrified. I can't do that. We give excuse after excuse after excuse. But if a buddy calls and said, hey, I've got tickets to the big game. Sign me up. <laughs> yes, I'll do that. Will you play on this team? Absolutely. Sean, if he calls you to play golf, <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> See? Will you work overtime this week? You better believe it. Will you consider this promotion? Wonderful. Will you commit to God's service? I don't know about that. I don't know if I can. Will you lead this ministry? I don't know. Will you go on mission? I can't. When my life settles down, I will. And I'm going to tell you this from a pastor's perspective. I work and serve with people of all ages and all stages of life. Life will not slow down. It does not matter your age. Your schedule will not loosen up. You will find something new to do when the old is gone. You will find something else to busy up. Service to the Lord will only happen if you purpose your heart and promise to God you will make your whole life for him. I'm serious. John the Baptist chose obedience to God's call on his life. And his sole purpose, verse 7 says, was to bear witness of the light. John could have chose his own way. John could have chosen his own life. But God's call was greater. And he was loyal to his calling. He was loyal to the promise of the Lord. And he did not back away from that promise. Are you aware of how John the Baptist's life ended? He was beheaded. Beheaded for preaching the truth. 
beheaded for calling out a king for immoral behavior, living the truth, fulfilling God's call and purpose for his life, being faithful. I want to ask you today, what are you faithful to? Who are you faithful to? To Christ? Is your life his life? Are are you deeply in love with Jesus? Think about this. Does your life, does the Lord have full devotion and affection and attention from your whole heart? Have you been faithful to your promise to God when you said, I surrender all, I want to follow you? I know I haven't. There are areas of my life that are not in balance, that are often not Jesus-minded, and as I wrote this sermon, I was, just, I was just broken down because I'm like, Lord, forgive me for not being a John the Baptist in a world that needs John the Baptist. Number four, the man of God's posture is humility. The man of God's posture is surrender. The man of God's posture is is worship. I want you to look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, he was not that light. I love that John the Apostle brought that out about John the Baptist. He was not the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though he was told to be the Lord Jesus Christ, even though he was accused many times of being the Messiah, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. For John the Baptist's life, it was Jesus always first. Jesus always first. John had an opportunity to make his ministry about John. Okay. If you look in John chapter three, a dispute breaks out. All right. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus and and sort of initiates Jesus's earthly ministry. And Jesus begins baptizing people, and, and many people start to follow after Jesus. And this dispute breaks about, and, and people that were really close to John, and maybe a little too close to John, idolizing John, they, they come and they say, hey, hey, this Jesus whom, whom you have testified about, he is now baptizing. Somebody's given that man a baptism license. And, and, and he's got his own ministry now. And, and, every, and everybody's coming to him, John. We're losing ground. John, our, our, our ship is sinking. John, our, our plane is about to hit the Hudson River, and we're going we're gonna to crash. Everybody's coming to Jesus. John, your ministry's going under. His ministry is beating yours, John. We don't like it. What are you going to do about it, John? And in that moment, in his flesh, John could have taken it personally. And he could have began to intensify his ministry and to make it better than Jesus' ministry. He could have increased baptism quota. He could have enlarged his territory. He could have begun a new ministry, preached a new message, made himself the center of that ministry. But that would have been wrong. That would have dishonored the Lord. And in John chapter 3, verse 28, he says, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 7, there comes one after me who is mightier than I. And he says, I'm not even worthy to tie this man's shoes. I can't even sandal, I can't even, I can't even strap his sandals. I'm not worthy to stoop down and loosen his sandals. Everything about Jesus' ministry, even the shoes that he wears, is greater than mine. John was not the Savior, Jesus was. 
John the Baptist baptized with water. Jesus was better. Jesus baptized with the Spirit. John was a preacher of the Word. Jesus was the very Word in the flesh. John was a forerunner. He was the, uh, he was the pre-show. He was a herald, a trailblazer, a waymaker for the Messiah. Jesus was the Messiah. How could John ever match up to what Jesus is? He didn't. <laughs> what John said in John 3.30, I've got to decrease. Christ has to increase. John's posture was his humility. John's posture was his surrender. John's posture was his worship. He knew his place was to tell others about Jesus, not to be Jesus. John could never receive praise or glory. It all belonged to Christ. And men, everything that we've ever been blessed with, your, your marriage, your family, your income, uh, uh, your work, your abilities, your possessions, your future, it's all His. <laughs> it's all the Lord's. Jesus first always. If not for Christ, it's for somebody else. He must increase, I must decrease. I want to share with you um, this, uh, this last point, and I've got to finish. We see that the man of God's pursuit must be Jesus. The man of God's pursuit must be Jesus or will be Jesus. Now, I know that that sounds uh, redundant, almost repetitive of the last point, but here's what I mean. In John chapter 1, verse 7 and verse 8, it says, This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Why did John have a ministry in the first place? To point people to Christ to point people to Jesus so that all of his ministry, all those under his ministry would believe on Jesus. Many people mistook John the Baptist for the Messiah. Many people mistook John the Baptist to be Elijah the prophet, reborn or back again. Some even said that he was a false prophet if you were super religious. Yet John consistently pointed others to the man that he was, that he was forerunning for, Jesus Christ. His mission was to direct people to Christ. He lived his whole life to point people to the Savior because the world didn't need a prophet. The world needed a Savior. And John's pursuit in life was so that people would believe on Jesus, not on John. You know, I've said enough today. Men, your wives need a man of God. Your children deserve a man of God. The church desperately needs men of God. The world cries out for men of God. Men, Jesus is calling us to be men. And I'm wondering today, who's going to step up? Who's going to step out? Who's going to surrender? Who's going to take on that challenge, that call? Wave the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is going to increase the kingdom of God and decrease ourselves? Who will fight for the truth and live by the truth? Who will consecrate themselves and set themselves apart, their life, their family, for the Lord Jesus and his purpose, who has established an eternal legacy within us? The choice is ours. 
Which way are you going to flow? Which way are you going to go? Will we be men of God or will we just be men? Let me pray for you. Father, I've never had more of a desire to preach the word than I have today. I've never had a heavier message on my heart than the one that I have today. And I pray, Lord, that the word of the God, the word of God would fall heavy on our hearts, would affect our consciences, would change our lives for the glory of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I am surrounded today by men of God. Men that you desire, men that you want, men that you have called, men that you have challenged. We have seen an example in Scripture. One thing we've got to remember today, everybody, is this. John the Baptist was a man. He was a man. And look what the Lord did through his life. Lord, we praise you and thank you for the man of God that John the Baptist was. But now, 21 centuries later, the world, the church, the family, the wife needs to see a man of God in the home. The home is crumbling. So goes the home, goes the nation. So goes the nation. So goes the home. So goes the church. Lord, raise up men of God. Call them out. Convict their hearts. Lead them to response, obedient response. Lead them to diligence to pursue your way, your plan for the life. Lead them to want your power for the life, not their own. Lead them, God, to pursue your calling, your plan, your desire for their life. Lead them to preach and to teach and to love and to serve Jesus alone with their life. We've only got so much time to build and to work on a kingdom. And the kingdom that you are calling us to build needs to last way longer than the life that we have on this earth. Lord, lead us to be kingdom builders for the kingdom of God. I pray that our men are challenged today. I pray that the sons in the room are challenged today. I pray that the wives today are encouraged and lifted up and challenged as well to love and support and to encourage their spouse to live for Christ, to honor Christ in every way. God, raise up in this church mighty men of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Miss Tammy, would you just for a moment play, and if God's leading anyone at all in the, in the room to respond to this message, I, I encourage you to come. You can come and pray at the altar. I'd be honored to, to pray with you. There's, a, there's plenty to think about today. There's plenty to work on today. There's plenty to give to God today. Would you be obedient if the Lord's calling you to respond in any way to this message? You come if you need to.